Life is really short. Every day is a gift. I've thought about that more this year than any other year in my life. Every day is a gift. Life is short. Heaven is our home. And the reality is you and I are living in a season where the Bible says it will become as in the days of Noah. So yes, there'll be dreams. Yes, there'll be visions. Yes, there'll be miraculous signs. The power of God is at work in our generation in a mighty, mighty way. But at the same time, there's moral decline and spiritual decline around the world. And people are beginning to think crazy things about life and what's right and what's wrong. And if you open up the Bible, none of it's surprising. Paul is as ours from death. He doesn't write his mum. He doesn't write his sister. He writes Timothy, young pastor Tim. You're about to enter difficult times. This is what they're going to look like, Tim. And I want you to do well. I want you to live your best life for God in this season. It's the same type of message that um, Jesus gave his disciples. And as we unpack the message this morning, Paul's last words to Timothy, you're going to get a real insight into what the last days would look like. You see, Paul believed he was living in the last days. He believed that maybe even before he was beheaded, the rapture of the church might take place. He had an expectation that Christ was coming in the clouds at any moment. And if he didn't get to see that, Timothy would. And with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to explain, in the last days, Tim, thinking Tim would see it. This is what you're going to see. This is what you're going to experience. Little did he know that those last days wouldn't be in Tim's time, but be in your time and in my time. Sometimes people say to me, Russell, Paul expected the rapture of the church in the seven years of tribulation, the second coming of Christ. It didn't happen in Paul's time. Uh, Paul thought Timothy would experience it. It didn't happen in Timothy's time. Spurgeon and Calvin and the great revivalists in world history all believed that the church would be imminently raptured and the tribulation would take place and the return of Christ would follow that seven years later. And it didn't happen in their time. And so every now and then someone says to me, Russell, you believe in the rapture of the church? I go, absolutely I do. Every day my eyes are open, my heart's expecting, this could be my last day, to love my family, to serve on Jesus on this planet. Could be my last opportunity. I believe that. But, but Russell, you believe that, uh, and yet Paul was wrong, and Calvin was wrong, and Luther was wrong. They all thought the rapture of the church would take place in their day. If they were wrong, Russell, maybe you'll be wrong too. And I have to say, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think when the fig tree blossomed, when Israel became a nation again, in May 1948, some of that generation, biblically a generation's 100 years, will still be around at the return of Christ. That's what I think. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, but I know the season. And I see signs of the season all around us. And I thought... What if I am wrong? I don't think I am. I'm absolutely convinced I'm not. But what if I am wrong? I will never regret living every day thinking this could be my last day. I'll never regret it. You know, Paul said that this hope, this hope of the imminent rapture of the church keeps your, your life pure. And it's true. 
Why would you mess around with stuff and play with stuff and get engaged in things that are wrong or grey areas or wishy-washy areas if you think today's the last day you've got to serve the Lord? You're not going to do it. If you live with that expectation, you're going to keep your life pure. Not only that, when I look at those people like Paul and Timothy and Calvin and Luther and Spurgeon and all these great revivalists that believed in the imminent rapture of the church and they seem to be wrong, They've gone to heaven, you know, time has gone on. I look at those people and I look at the impact of their lives. And I get this impression, friends, that if you and I live with an awareness that we're living in the last days, and you and I live with an awareness that this could be our last day, we'll have more zeal, we'll have more passion, we'll have more focus. So I don't believe I'm wrong. I'm really, really, really sure I'm not wrong. But if I was, I don't regret it. I don't regret living with this expectation and with this focus. In just a minute, I'm going to take you through some of the signs in this passage that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, Tim, in the last days, these will be the signs. Once I've taken you through the signs, I'm going to give you two or three minutes to turn to people around you and say, which of these signs you identify now, in our generation, in our time? So just picking these, these signs that Paul gave Timothy out of Scripture. It says, people will love only themselves. It's a sign of the end times. There'll be love for their money. People will be unloving and unforgiving. They'll hate what is good. And I think... Man, I, I think about the number of abortions in New Zealand every year and I just tear up. I go, this is not right. It's just, it's nuts. It's utterly wrong. How can you hate what is good? Now, verse 4 says, they will love pleasure more than God. In other words, they'll be going, what makes you happy? Do what makes you happy. Do what's in your heart to do, you know. And yet they'll be never satisfied. They will act religious, but they'll lack power. There'll be a time when there's forms of spirituality without miracles, without healings, without prophecy, without deliverance. They'll sound spiritual, but there'll be no signs to go with it. There'll be a time when people will (coughs) work their way into people's homes. In other words, folk will sneak around going door to door looking for lonely people to give the new gospel to. Oh, you've read the Bible. Here's another Bible. Here's another magazine. Here's another truth. It's a sign of the end. They will use magic and deception like the magicians did when they opposed Moses. They did Janus and Jambres. I'll explain that in just a minute. In other words, in the end times, the occult will be at work, and the occult does have power, but the occult makes things worse, not better. So there are supernatural counterfeits, but it always makes things worse. And finally, people will look for positive pep talks and motivational sermons rather than sermons that teach the Bible. Sermons that just go, this is your day, it's your hour, it's all about you, your life's going to be amazing. No sacrifice, no suffering, no dying to self, no cross, no exposition of the scriptures. That'll be a sign of the end times. Now before you turn to your neighbour and give your insights, let me just remind you of Janus and Jambres. I'm kind of amazed when you read Exodus 7. And Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh quietly thinks, well, who are you, mate? You know, I'm not doing anything you tell me to do. So he's got to back up his words with signs. He throws down his stick. The stick turns into a snake. Wow. 
That's amazing. But Janice and Jambres, who are workers in the occult, they have their sticks, they throw their sticks down, and what happens? They turn into snakes as well. Moses, he, he um, can't remember which is the next one, maybe it was frogs, you know, Moses calls up frogs. And Janice and Jambres go, ah, it's not too hard for us. They call up more frogs. Now we've got more snakes, we've got more frogs. And Moses says, right, I'm going to speak the word, and the river Nile is going to turn into blood. Horrific, you can't drink it. Janice and Jambres don't help the situation. They turn all the other water in the nation into blood as well. Now there's no drinking water for anybody. And it goes on and on until they get to lice. And when Moses says, brings about lice, they just can't do it. They go, oh, it's too hard. We can't keep up with you, Moses. Now, were there miracles, real miracles? Was there supernatural power with those two guys? Absolutely. But everything they did was foolish. Because when they were engaged, they made it worse. More snakes, no drinking water. It just got worse. And that's been my experience of the occult. I've, I've I've got to know people in the occult. I've led people from the occult to Christ. They can get a, a larger demon to take control of a smaller demon. They can do things like crystal healing and Reiki and all sorts of evil stuff, but it's foolish because it will always make things worse ultimately. We're going to scroll through that list and give you a couple of minutes just to look at those pointers. What are the signs? And tell that nice person beside you which ones you recognize are part of this time and part of this age. When you step back and you look at this list or you look at Matthew 24 and 25, if you look at the book of Daniel, look at the book of Thessalonians, the book of Revelation, there are so many signs that 30, 40 years ago would have made no sense to people, but make total sense now. And you've got to say, if you're living in the last times, in that age before the rapture of the church and the seven years of tribulation, how should we then live? What difference should it make to our lives now? And as a church, we have a real passion to mentor young people. We have a real passion to mentor young Christians. We have a real passion to take mature Christians and train them for leadership. And so what sage advice could you give and could I give to young people in this day and age or younger Christians in this day and age who are saying, I'm worried, I'm anxious, there's bizarre weather patterns, there's global warming, there's food shortages, there's incredible things happening uh, in terms of wars and rumours of wars, there's a change in culture, as is, we've just looked at in the list from Paul, I'm worried, I'm stressed out and I'm anxious. And they are, and they are. So what do we as a church say to those that we're discipling, that we're loving on, that we're raising up? Let's take a moment to look at what Paul said to young Tim, his mentee. He really believed that these signs that we're experiencing now, that Tim would experience in his age. But we're blessed. Tim didn't go through it, but we're here now. And we can be in this time with open eyes and making a great impact for Jesus in this season. What would you tell a young person who's anxious about the days that we're living in? What did Paul tell Timothy? He said two things in particular. He essentially said, Tim, I want to tell you what to think, what you should be thinking about as you're living in this age. And Tim, I want to tell you what to focus on. 
So Tim, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be persecution. It's going to be rough. There's going to be much suffering for the followers of Christ in those days. But Tim, think about these things and be focused on this thing. What did he say to think about? I want to get you to stand with me, friends, as I read these next seven uh, verses. Would you stand, please? When I listen to Scripture, and I get more out of Scripture listening than reading, I just invite you to stand and close your eyes. And this is the Word of God to Tim, and the Word of God to Tim will empower you and equip you for God's words to those people you're looking after and you're discipling. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. And yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will let themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know that they're true. You know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Please be seated for a moment. Can you imagine saying to that person you're training up to be a worship leader like you or that person you're training up to run a life group like you or that young Christian you just catch up with every couple of weeks to just encourage and mentor. Can you imagine saying to them, everything you've seen me do, everything you've heard me say, be like me. <laughs> you know it's real. Tim, I've taught you the scriptures. Uh, you've heard the scriptures from childhood. Stick with the Bible, Tim. And you've seen it, you've read it, you've heard it, you've seen it lived out in my life. Stick with the Bible, Tim. Tim, this is what you think about. You think about scriptures. In the last days, think about the word. Remember the basics of faith, Tim. You know that my faith is real. Paul would say, Tim, you know me. You've seen how I live. You've seen how I, what I teach. You know my purpose. You've seen me suffer for the gospel. Now, Tim, remain faithful to the things that you've been taught, things that you know are true. It's interesting. He didn't say, Tim, I want you to try harder. I want you to work harder, Tim. I want you to do more of this and do more of that and go to some more schools, Tim. He said, Tim, you've got it already. You've been taught the foundations of Christian living. It's what's true. You've seen it live down in my life. Tim, stick with the word of God. There was an old, I guess you'd call him a mentor, an influence on my life that said this to me once because I became very aware when I was doing my theological training, that people are always looking for the new thing. Who's got the new insight? Who's got the new thing? Who's got some radical new idea? Let's run after that. Let's pursue that. And um, 
this old guy said simply this phrase, Russell, if it's new, it's not true. I thought, man, that makes sense to me. We're running after the next buzz, the next new thing, the next exciting teaching. And this old guy would say, no, no, you stick with the word, Russ. If it's new, it's not true. I remember being at theological college and a guy that was training there came to the conclusion, what might have been shortly after, he came to the conclusion that the red letters in the Bible were really inspired and things written in black weren't so inspired. He said, parts of scripture are really inspired. Red letter words, what Jesus said, that's up there. And things that are written black, just men, women were inspired to write. No, it's down here somewhere. Crazy. There are always going to be people that say there's a new teaching, a new way, a new revelation, a new magazine, a new approach, a new insight. God said through Paul to Timothy, when you're living in the last days, when people are experiencing culturally what you and I are experiencing today, keep it simple. Stick with the Bible. Every word in that Bible is true, Tim. You've learned it. You've heard it from your grandmother, from your mother, from me. You've seen it lived out. Stick with the Bible. Think about the Bible. It's interesting how people like parts of the Bible, not others. <clears throat> I think we all love that scripture, the Lord will supply all my needs. Isn't that awesome? And we remember that verse, but we don't remember all those who love Jesus will suffer persecution. I haven't made that a memory verse recently, you know. And it's interesting, isn't it? We look at that and go, oh, it's so encouraging, but we need all of it. All of it's true, all of it's helpful to us. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he began teaching about the end times, he said, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every word is helpful, it's inspired by God. Family society changes what it believes from generation to generation. You and I will mix with beautiful young people, amazing young people, who can't help but be influenced by what they're getting all the time in media and through TV. And they will see things differently to how you do. And we've got to recognise that how this generation sees things will be different from the generation 20 years' time and the one 20 years' time after that. And people will genuinely believe this is right and this is a new way of looking at things now, but it's going to change. And it's going to change again. And I suggest to you that if we're coming into the end times, I'm certain we are, it'll become more and more like in the days of Noah. There'll be more moral and spiritual decline. And, and people are going to change. And I, I want to say to a young person, listen, you know, this year this is what people believe. They won't be believing it in 10 years' time. And you can chase after what culture believes, but the goalposts are going to be moving, 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 always. There's one thing that's true. There's one thing that's always going to be true. There's one guide to life that will always steer you on the right path, and it's the Bible. Just believe the Bible from cover to cover. All words are true. It's fully inspired, Timothy. Society changes. But the word of God doesn't. Tim, stick to the basics. It's about Jesus. It's about the Bible. And after explaining what, uh, to Tim what to think about Tim, as you're living in the last days, you know, when people are 
self-obsessed and living for self and following what their desires are and with little regard for others. When you're living in those days, Tim, keep your mind in the Bible. Think about Scripture and keep your focus on the second coming of Christ. Would you stand again, please, friends? Keep thinking about the word. It's all true from cover to cover, but keep looking with expectation to his return. Verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God's given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Please be seated. That's what I want you to think about, Tim. When you're living in the last days and the world's going mad and they're believing crazy things and it's messed up, Tim, I want you to think about the Bible. Tim, I want you to pick up that Bible. I want you to read it word for word. It's all inspired. It's all good. It's all helpful. And Tim, don't just think about the Bible. Turn your focus up and start looking forward to the return of Christ. I was praying before the service this morning just about, Lord, what are you saying to the church? And this is why I got, I got a picture of a number of folk in our family just weighed down with life and there's genuine pressures and there's genuine things that occupy our minds and keep us busy and weigh us down. And I had a picture like a mother does with a little kid. Have you ever seen a little child who's feeling depressed or sad? Uh, a mum will often walk up to that little child and sort of gently touch their cheeks and point them up so they're looking at her. And she'll smile and speak some words of life to that child. Now, since the Holy Spirit's saying this, Russell, there are people in the family who are just so overburdened and overwhelmed with life and all that's going on right now. But I want to lift their faces. I want to lift their gaze. I want to lift their expectation. So they're not looking here at the next bill, at the relationship issues, or all the things they're facing. They're not focused on that. They're looking forward to his return. Because, boy, if you're looking forward to his return, everything changes. Everything comes into perspective. Think about the Lord's return. Focus on heaven. Heaven is our home. This is not your destination. You're only a temporary uh, person traveling through. Focus on the return of Christ. Tim, if you do, if you live looking forward to Jesus' return, the Lord's going to be pleased with you and you'll be given a crown. Luke 12, 35 to 38 speaks about that as well. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you are waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servant who is ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seek them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He, he may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he'll reward the servants who are ready. Listen, friends, I... Life has got challenges. Man, I, for every one of us, we face stuff. And some fa are facing bigger challenges than others. And life is busy and there are lots of demands. And we can be focused on those and worn out by them. But something will happen to your spirit. 
Something will happen in your decision making. Something will happen to your attitude when you take your focus off here. You start saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. If you come and take me home today, if I get beamed up with everyone else at Church Unlimited in Whangarei and all the other Christians in the city, if I get beamed up today, God, I'm ready. I'm walking rightly before you. My conscience is clear. I'm obeying you one day at a time. God, I know this is just temporary. Oh, somebody might have ripped me off and that big problem might be occurring with the house, but heaven is my home. Not this place anyway. Have a focus on his return on eternity. You and I are going to talk to a lot of young people, a lot of adults in this city who say, I'm worried, I'm anxious, the world's going mad, food, food shortage, there's global warming, there's all sorts of things going down. We don't know about future conflicts. They're going to say, I'm stressed and I'm worried. What do I do about it? And God wants you and I to turn to them. Like Paul did to Timothy and say, it's all been prophesied before. It's all in the book. There's no surprises coming up. Get into your Bible and think about the things of God. If you haven't picked up your Bible for weeks, pick it up and start reading it every day. It's all inspired. Instead of looking at what's around us day to day, look up. Let the Holy Spirit do what those mothers do with the little kids who are down. Let the Holy Spirit touch our faces and say, look to me and look forward to my coming. And if you do, there'll be a zeal released into your life. There'll be a happiness, a joy, expectation. Things will still happen. You'll go, blow it, the car broke down. That's annoying. <laughs> it's God's car anyway. Now, I'm not going to be around to enjoy it for much longer. I'm going home. It makes such a difference to everything that you do. I want you to stand, friends. I'll ask the worship team to come forward as we stand. The thing I get from the Holy Spirit as I'm praying is this. That God wants to impart the fresh hope as we put our focus back on the Lord fully. And it's very, very difficult living in this culture in this time not to let the thinking of the world impact us. You talk to beautiful young people raised in churches today and they struggle to understand that same-sex attraction could be wrong. It doesn't make sense to them because every other message they hear says the opposite. There are so many things you could list that are hard for them to understand. I want to pray for us before we sing our closing song. Two things. I want to pray that God wash our mind of the things of the world and you renew our mind with the things of the word. I want to pray that God would take our little heads and cause us to stop looking down, but to look up with expectation. Because this is the day, this is the hour, we're living in that season where Christ could come and get this church at any moment. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Lord, your words are life. And your words are true. And culture changes from day to day, from year to year. But your words will stand, your words will last. And Father, we just accept your Bible as a gift, as a guidebook, as a way to navigate life with wisdom in this day. And where the world would say some parts are true and some aren't, Lord, we accept it all as true. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you wash our minds of the nonsense that we get through our songs and the media and the things around us. And you'd renew our minds, you'd transform our minds as we pick up the Bible daily and focus our thinking on it. And Father, we ask too that you'd lift our faces this morning.
and we'd stop thinking about just the day-to-day things that need to be sorted. And you'd fill our spirits and our hearts with an expectation, God. You're coming for your church and you're coming soon. And our lamp's going to be burning and we're going to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.